Hi, I'm Raghav. And I'm James. And this is the Deus Amina podcast. Raghav, what is the topic we're going to be discussing today? Today we're going to be discussing subjectivism. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and it's interesting to think about these things because we first need to establish what we mean by subjectivism. We need to come up with a seemingly objective definition to subjectivism. So for the, for the sake of this conversation, let us assume that subjectivism is the idea or, or and a subjective object is that it is relative specifically to our observation or, our, you know, it has to pass through the barrier of perception that is us, whether it are our senses, such as our eyes our ears, you know, our sense of smell, our sense of taste, it has to relate to us somehow. We must interpret it to have an idea of it. Whereas, um, on the other hand, you have things that are objective. They aren't subject to interpretation at all. I mean, the fact that you have to say they aren't subject to blah, 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 makes them an objective thing. So they are seemingly irrefutable things that are on the basis of understanding. You don't need to debate them. They can't really de be debated because they are taken as an absolute fact. Now, don't misconstrue objectivism with empiricism. Empiricism assumes that you can only confirm things based on senses, but the idea that you're confirming it means that they are objective based on your senses. For example, a, a subjective thing doesn't necessarily have to, you don't have to agree upon it as an objective thing after you've sensed it, like you would with empiricism. Um, now, 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 what would kind of be, it's kind of helpful to think of ideas of things we, we perceive to be subjective versus objective. So what would you say as a, what would you say, um, an objective thing would be like, like throw some examples out there. Okay. So some things that we can agree are inherently objective are things like math equations or gravity because they're experienced the same way by everybody or basically everybody. And things that we can call subjective are like ideas, beliefs, like religion, because they differ from person to person. Yeah, I mean, I mean, an objective thing is, is something that we all experience the same. It's a consistency in life and experience, whereas subjective things are, are, are modulatable. They're not they're not consistent. Um, you're going to say something? So what we would hope to convince you of is nothing really is objective because everything is based upon your own experiences. The way you see everything, that's that's going to change from person to person because not everyone has the same eyes and you can't all experience everything the same way that everyone else does. Yeah, and you can say, you know, one person might argue you might have a Everyone might have a different perspective on mathematics, but it's a concrete thing. It doesn't matter what perspective you have on it. It's a consistent, verifiable... I think verifiable is the most important part, especially with science. But but in reality, you've got to think back, well, how did mathematics originally... You know, what does it originally derive from? Well, you have an individual who needs to maybe trade or, or keep track of something, and you need to use different words to talk about different things. And what I mean by different things would be what we'd later describe as a different quantity of things. It's easier to discuss things as, as one or two apples instead of just saying apple and not knowing how many you're getting. That's not helpful for trade at all. Um, but in reality, you know, just because, you know, we, we nowadays we have complex mathematics that are com completely a, a billion times more advanced than that, 
you've got to think about where mathematics comes down to from its roots, and it comes down to observation and things that you perceive. And basically, our ability or need to count things, to keep track of numerical values that would be a lot more difficult to elaborate to other people without having a specific value. Yeah, I mean, I mean, mathematics is, is, at least to me, all it really is, is just an expansion of language. And I'd agree that uh, language is also a subjective thing. You need to see something and interpret it before you can come up with a definition, before you can give it any meaning. I mean, again, these are just things, these are different noises that come out of our mouths that we give meaning to, and then we share with each other and agree upon these meanings. Um, but just because we agree upon them, this is the big mistake people make. Agreement does not equal objectivity. If you believe that, let's say you have a group of 10 people, let's say seven out of those 10 people believe that, um, let's say the dinosaurs are real or were real or whatever, you know, whatever argument you want to make. Just because 7 out of 10 people believe that doesn't make it an objective thing. Even though you and I, I'm sure, and I'm sure Rigov does as well, we think that dinosaurs were an actual thing. I mean, you can use fossil evidence to back that up. But you never want to give weight to a specific amount of people. Because then that assumes you are, by making that claim, you are prescribing the notion that humans have in quantity... Um, innate value. And if that is the case, you can argue that and you can make the utilitarian argument that we should be focusing on the majority, not the um, the few, the many over the few. But all that really is, is again, another subjective prescription that we make. We see a group of humans and we give them more value. I mean, we give an innate human innate value ourselves through subjectivity. It's not as if humans have a base... Um, a base amount of one or a base value of one, we have to give them that. And of course, I've already explained where we derive the concept of, of the number one from the first, you know, from, in the first place. So with, with all of this in mind, you know. And so with all of this in mind, we have to consider the fact that, well, okay, if we take a step back first, to be completely honest and with full disclosure, we also have our own biases when talking about things like this. Because we have certain beliefs that may not coincide with everybody. And it would be, I don't know, for lack of a better word, idiotic to say that our beliefs are false because not everybody or not the majority believes in them. So if we just followed what the majority did, we would be all under one religion, all under one government. Everyone had the same belief because just because the majority has that belief we can assume that is yeah. correct so that's why we don't yeah. agree with this and if and if you devalue the majority the, the minority in fact of, of the talking um, points that would be uh, an, ab an an abrupt usage and, and i guess um infringement upon democracy of course democracy requires that everyone has some value i mean in a democracy you can't just disregard the minority they have to be able to speak and that's what makes them a facet of democracy itself um so so um I think I think there's more to be said here, and there's a bit more convincing we can do. Now, I would hope that you wouldn't uh, misconstrue my argument, because I do believe that it is useful for us to keep the idea of objective objects in mind. For example, if, if Raghav and I are doing mathematics right, we're trying to figure out how much, let's say, 5 plus 5 equals. There's no way we're going to be able to figure that out unless we already agree that 1 plus 1 equals 2 is objective. Now, these are things that are called axioms. They're things that you assume are true based on no 
kind of further backing, and you do those to set up scaffoldings for further arguments. For example, it is useful for us to both assume that we are conscious beings, because if you don't assume that, regardless of whether it's true or not, you might devalue someone else. You might see yourself as higher. I mean, that's kind of what solipsism leads to, I suppose. Just to cut in for a second, uh, solipsism is like the theory or like the idea that the only thing that you know exists is yourself. But there are specific things that are useful to agree upon. I mean, even agreeing upon the idea that objective means this, this and that and subjective means this, this and that are both useful things to do. But they're simply just noises coming out of our mouths. And it's only useful for us to assume that they mean the same thing. Doesn't mean that they do. Doesn't mean that a banana is a banana. We're just assuming that it is the same thing for the sake of language and conversation. And so when we believe that 1 plus 1 does equal 2, it's similar to believing in religion. We don't believe in it because it's the truth. We believe in it because it's easier to communicate with other people that way. It's beneficial to both parties if that fundamental belief is built upon through ideas like calculus. Because everything just builds upon each other within religion within mathematics within science that's how humans have developed and that's why we're so good at developing yeah and th and this is probably why abstract con uh, abstract concepts such as objective subjective empirical mathematics language all of these different ideas it's why we have these it's beneficial for our improvement of course you can make a um a Zapfian argument to say that these are actually detrimental to our development. But as of now, these things, at least in the momentary, transitory experience of life, have given us benefits. Of course, you and I can both agree that without the ability to agree upon this is how communication works, I wouldn't be able to tell you this information. Just like how the engineers that design this microphone, design the speaker that you're hearing through, have to agree upon specific things so they can create that object that is beneficial for us as a society. So don't get me wrong, just because things aren't innately objective doesn't mean it's not useful to agree upon things as being objective. But always remember that because we agree upon them being objective, doesn't make them objective. It's simply just an easy for a way for us to communicating. But in reality, in some ways, they kind of are simply just subjective. Okay, so I have a question for you. Go ahead. Where does this idea come from? I mean, again, I would assume that let's imagine that humans are expressive creatures. I mean, that's a very common thing to say. We're social animals. It's almost cliche at this point to bring it up in any conversation about linguistics. But I think the difficulty with that is that you have quite primal animals that have the basis of communication based on screeches, yells, barks, all this kind of stuff. And of course, they have some different tonal structure that varies in some, some kind of communication you know, base things, maybe this, this tonal structure is different than that to connotate different kinds of messages to each other. But it's not to the complexity of human expression. And human expression um, is complicated because we each use different ways. Um, obviously, I haven't studied that much about animal communication, but I'd assume that most wolves generally communicate in the same manner that is not explicit to just their pack. I mean, I'm not sure. You probably have to do your own research on that. Whereas with humans, when we have such a geo, you know, a geographical difference between each other, when we're spread out throughout across the entire world, the development of communication is obviously going to be relative to where we're brought up. Of course, someone in the Arctic isn't going to need to know what the word desert means. They're not going to need to prescribe um a, a vocal expression to that meaning so of course the idea of of objective and subjective i mean one of them is simply 
you have to derive things as objective through subjective means. We have to observe something which is subjective to gain an objective understanding of it. Regal and I both need to see a tree or what we think is a tree to agree upon it objectively that it is a, that it is a tree, even though it had to pass through our subjective barriers. I mean, is there anything you want to add on that? Yeah, so it's kind of interesting how with all of these different languages, we can see how things like emotions can stay constant through them because they're all human things. We can see that basic human needs have words in these languages even though the environments differ completely because of our evolution. Yeah. I mean, the pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of pain, the need to communicate, the need to survive are all universal human things and pretty much universal throughout the entire animal kingdom, full stop. Um, I mean, the only the only real difference is, is that we've just been brought up in different areas that require us to do different things to survive. It's like any other adaptation, really. It's really dependent on your environment. Um, and, I, and I think there is there is an interesting line that we should kind of discuss when it comes to subjectivity, because, of course, we're talking about what we presume to be real and abstract ideas. But I think the most in important abstract idea to talk about when it comes to the debate on objective ideas, subjective ideas, and perception is morality. So, so how do you kind of feel about the development of subjective morality and what it kind of leads to versus the basis of objective morality that a lot of people have originally maintained based on theological backing? So I think you can't, you can't go into this argument without first considering religious morality. So morality that has developed through uh, well, kingdoms and religions because it was beneficial to the leaders of those kingdoms to have a religion in which everyone believed that stealing is bad because it would help the whole community. Yeah, I mean, you have universal ideas such as the Ten Commandments in Christianity. And I suppose you have the, you know, the whole Judeo kind of Christian idea of these objective sets of morality, which have incentives. If you act this specific way, you will be rewarded, versus if you don't act this specific way, you can't possibly be punished. I mean, it's a very pleasure versus displeasure system that is so innate to our human our human experience, um, but it is equally constant in that humans have tried to come up with objective ideas of morality in the same way that having an objective idea of religion is unifying. Agreeing upon this idea being bad versus this idea being good is how we stay together, at least initially, as a society. Why am I going to want to survive with people if they believe that cannibalism and murder is good? Because those things put my life at risk. Nowadays, those lines are kind of blurred as those as individualism has gone on the rise with the death of kind of tribalism, or at least the progressive death. I would say that tribalism probably won't die anytime soon. Um, but generally, these these concepts of things being good or bad are just like religion as a whole, unifying in nature. However, I think there is something to be said about the reason why they're not really objective, and it goes back to the whole um, David Hume argument of an ought from an is. So if you have an is, I think the most popular misconception about morality that I think the uh, the neuroscientist Sam Harris advocates too much for, and I think incorrectly, is that we have an innate sense of morality. It is beneficial for us not to kill each other. I don't have the compulsion to kill Rigov. I have the compulsion to eat. So there, there are these two different things that we have an interest to do and an interest not to do. It brings me displeasure to kill someone. I mean, it's guilt. I mean, I mean, I'm sure pretty much almost anyone you'd ask who's had to kill someone in a dire circumstance probably has some kind of guilt surrounding it. But it's interesting because if someone grew up with the idea that killing people is fine without knowing that other people would feel guilt from killing people, 
would they still feel guilt? I don't think they would because they wouldn't know that they should. They wouldn't have a concept of it, or they wouldn't have it. Maybe, maybe it even come down to your different views on how life works, how you perceive life to be, and what happens after life. If you don't have a perception of life where, let's imagine that the person you kill isn't going to the afterlife that you are prescribed to by acting generously. Of course, that is going to give you a negative connotation of their death because you have condemned them to something quite terrible. Um, but I think there is definitely something to be said about naturalistic morality. Just because I'm inclined not to kill people, and, and do not misconstrue this, I'm not interested in killing anyone, period, does not mean you are ought to not kill people. Similarly, I, am, I have the natural inclination to eat meals. That doesn't mean I'm ought to do so. This is the difference between an is and an ought. In his statement, I think we can agree upon as being a generally objective thing, it is raining. But you cannot derive the ought statement that because it is raining, I ought to bring an umbrella. It doesn't logically follow. Nowhere does the fact that it is raining exactly derive the idea that you should bring an umbrella. It is simply an interpretation. And I think that's a good way of looking at objective and subjective ideas. I mean, in reality, if you truly believe in a object, a subjectivism, you can make an argument that there are no is's, period. There is nothing that we can perceive that is objectively consistent to the fact that we can individually make tons of different subjective interpretations. An argument can be made that every is is still another ought. We are ought to interpret, um, because nothing is telling us to interpret, so does that mean that every interpretation within itself is an ought? Because you can't derive equally an is from an ought. So that is something interesting to think about. I mean, but I think the biggest thing that you should focus upon this is that that doesn't mean that we are trying to justify any acts that we view as negative. Just because I don't believe that morality is objective doesn't mean I think things such as rape or murder or stealing are not bad things. I perceive them as very awful things. and I do not want them to happen to me. I do not want them to happen in the society I live in. I don't want them to happen to other people I care about. Well, How maybe you see that maybe you see this that way because you live in a society where they tell you yeah. that these things are bad, where yeah. you've been brought up since you were a child n knowing that stealing is bad, that rape is bad. And so you are inclined to feel that way because that's how everybody else feels. Yeah. I mean, and, and equally it's like uh, helping people is good, not stealing is good, working hard is good. These are all prescribed things by humans. They're all subjective interpretations. And of course, it's, it's great for us to assume that they're objective. I mean, that's what law is. You have a set of laws, and I suppose you can interpret them subjectively, but there are things that are beneficial for us to agree upon on the basis of morality. Um, so of course, things can be negative from a, from a subjective interpretation, or, an, or I guess an objective understanding. But just because most people in a society view something as negative doesn't make it objective. Even if I agree that it is a horrible thing, just because it is a law, just because it is a rule, you've got to imagine where that rule came from. And it must have been through subjective means. So is there anything else you want to add? Uh, no, I think that's about it. Yeah, so I think that summarizes our, our discussion on objectivism versus subjectivism. Of course, I would love that you all take your own subjective interpretation upon it. You do not need to agree. I mean, if you disagree, that is completely fine. I'd be very curious to hear your subjective opinions on this the statement. And of course, a lot of this might be something that's completely normal to you, or a lot of this might be completely um, alien to your normal understandings of reality and how you view things. And of course, again, it's all up to your interpretation. So take it as you may. I mean, these are simply just the discussions of me and Regav. Um, and I hope you enjoyed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.